So author Don Miller tells a story about his friend Jason who had a teenage daughter who was making some poor decisions. Among other things, she was dating a guy who, in Miller's words, smelled like smoke and only answered questions with single words. Yeah, no, whatever, why? Jason was sure this guy was the reason his daughter was making questionable choices. Uh, He and his wife had tried grounding her and forbidding her to date the guy, but that just made things worse. So Miller had been studying storytelling in an accidental stroke of insight. He told Jason that it sounded like his daughter was not living a very good story, that she was caught up in a bad one. They talked for a while about how good stories work, how good movies and uh, good books uh, are put together, and Miller didn't think much more about it. A couple of months later, Miller saw Jason and asked about his daughter. Jason said, well, she's doing better, and uh, my family is leaving a better story. Jason said that after their conversation, he had realized he hadn't provided a better role for his daughter. So she had chosen another story which had risk and adventure, rebellion and independence, uh, even though she didn't realize she was really being used. Jason said she's really not a bad girl. She was just choosing the best story available to her. Miller relates how Jason decided to commit that his family would build uh, an orphanage in Mexico after raising $25,000. Now, he didn't tell his wife about this, which in retrospect was not a great idea, but his daughter and his daughter wasn't thrilled about the idea at first, realizing she would have to give up her allowance and who knew what else. But his wife jumped on board and after a few nights, uh, his daughter started talking about maybe getting her friends to help out and wanting to visit Mexico and take pictures and meet the kids to put uh, pictures on her website. Then Jason said she had also broken up with her boyfriend. Uh, Apparently he had said she was too fat. Jason's words, what a jerk. But that's done now. No girl who plays the role of a hero dates a guy who uses her. She knows who she is, Jason said. She just forgot for a little while. You ever forgotten who you were for a little while? Haven't we all? It's in those times that, like Jason, we need to replace a weak story with a more engaging narrative for our lives. We, We need a better story. And I'd like to think that that's what Paul was doing in his letter to the Galatians. He had preached the gospel of Jesus to these people, and they had believed the gospel. He reminded them of the gospel at the beginning of the letter when he said, Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. That's Galatians 1.4. Their lives had been transformed. Great things were happening, miracles, and the work of the Spirit. It was quite the story, but because of these false teachers who had come behind Paul, many of the believers had forgotten who they really were and had begun living a different, weaker story, which insisted they do things to earn God's favor. And Paul had to remind them of the, the better, the actual story, In Galatians chapter 3, he's still trying to pull them back into God's narrative. Now, I want to share one of the most helpful lines I've ever read, and it comes from author Dallas Willard, and this has helped me so much when I think about grace. He said this, he said, grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. Willard goes on to say, effort is action, earning is attitude, You have never seen people more active than those who have been set on fire by the grace of God. So with that in mind, let's jump into the text again. In response to the argument of the false teachers, the Judaizers, Paul writes in verse 6, Just as Abraham 
This is Paul reaching back and grabbing the original guy, the prototypical Jew, the, the father of the Jews. He's, he's doing this because the false teachers had appealed to Abraham and particularly to Abraham's obedience to circumcision. And now he quotes from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, Abraham believed or had faith in God and it was counted or credited. The theological term would be imputed. It was imputed to him as righteousness right standing before God. And as we've learned, this does not mean that Abraham was actually righteous, only that he was declared righteous, given legal standing before God as righteous. This was God doing what only God has the right to do. And then Paul adds his commentary on Genesis 15, 6 in the following verse, verse 7, know then, that's an imperative where Paul is really saying, you got to get this, that it is those of faith, those who believe, who are the sons or children, that's a, that's a word that Paul uses, but it includes men and women, the children of Abraham, not blood descendants, but faith descendants is what he's getting at. Now, I think it might be helpful if we work with an analogy, and uh, I give thanks to Professor Matthew Barrett for this. We've all done it. We've entered a dark room and felt around for the light switch. And when we finally found it, we flipped it up and instantaneously, so it seemed, the room was illuminated by the light. Now, which came first, the appearance of the light or the flipping of the switch? Now, most of us are smart enough to know that the two actions aren't actually instantaneous. One has to happen before the other can happen. And although it's just a fraction of a second, the light follows the flipping of the switch. No flip, no light. Faith is like the flipping of the switch. Once a person believes um, their life is illuminated by God's presence and by God's love, Listen to how John Wesley famously described his conversion experience. He said, In the evening I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street, where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Wesley's heart was strangely warmed. The switch was flipped within him and he believed what he was hearing. That's, that's quite the illustration of faith. And here's another anecdote, this time from a former slave named Katie Brown. She testified and said, when I heard the old people singing, it made me feel like I ought to have been a Christian. And I prayed and I prayed till I got my religion. Isn't that cool? Her switch was flipped. She believed and her life became illuminated by Christ. She got her religion. Abraham believed. John Wesley believed. Katie Brown believed. You believed. I believed. And God said, you are righteous. Children of Abraham are those who believe, not those who perform an act of obedience like circumcision. The false teachers looked to Abraham's act of circumcision as the initial act by which he became righteous. But Paul insists that Abraham wasn't declared righteous after he was circumcised, as recorded in Genesis 17, but before. Paul says you have to go back farther than that to Genesis 15, which records that Abraham believed God and he credited to him as righteousness to which it seems the Judaizers were ready, and they said, Paul, you have no good faith ideas. Even if you're right that faith came before circumcision, Abraham's faith 
That was a work. He believed he did something. And some Jewish teachers taught that Abraham was a man whose righteousness was a reward for his obedience. They said that his right standing was not an act of God's grace, but rather something he earned because he had faith. And God's promises to Abraham were the response to his faith, which was actually, they said, his faithfulness. Some rabbis referenced the the 10 trials of Abraham, which once he had passed, gained him God's favor. So Paul works overtime and goes back farther than Genesis 17, farther than Genesis 15, and lands all the way back in Genesis 12. Look at chapter 3, verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify, that's also could, we could say does justify, that God does justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, and here Paul quotes part of God's promise recorded in Genesis 12, 3, with slight embellishment from 18, 18 and 22, 18. In you, in Abraham as the spiritual progenitor of the Jews, in you shall all the nations be blessed. An act of grace, this is blessing, an act of grace by faith in him who is the subject of the promise. And he finishes with another line of commentary, verse 9. So then those who are of faith, the believing, are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This story of faith and grace and blessing is the better story Paul is urging the Galatians toward. It's a story rooted in grace and demonstrated by the promises of God. Promises spoken to Abraham before he believed, before he went, before he was circumcised, and before he faced the first of those 10 trials. Don't miss this. This is a mic drop moment for Paul. Paul says, if you want to find where it all really began, God, he says, the scripture preached the gospel to Abraham when he first gave him the promise. That promise to Abraham was that the nations would be blessed in him. This is huge. Paul uses a form of the word promise 11 times in the third and fourth chapters of Galatians, culminating with Galatians 4.28, which says, Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Paul seems to be saying that God's promises are playing out through time. And just like Isaac arrived miraculously from Abraham's seed through Sarah's womb, Hundreds of years later, the promise of non-Jews also getting in on God's blessing was now coming to pass. This is God's promise being fulfilled, not some identification tactic that you can play by your own schemes. The sovereign God is working out the purpose of his will, the keeping of his promises, and your faith, your faith, my faith is the evidence that we get to be a part of his plan. Now, I know you're an astute Bible reader. And you're thinking, wait a minute, Chris, how could the scripture preach the gospel to Abraham? If the gospel is the good news about the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection and ascension and second coming of Jesus, then how could that be preached to Abraham over a thousand years before Jesus was born? And I bet you're also thinking, furthermore, Chris, Paul says that the gospel was preached, uh, the gospel that was preached was that all nations would be blessed in Abraham. That doesn't say anything about Jesus. Well, that's a great question. And we like great questions around here. And I'm glad you asked it. A story is a promise and the gospel is a promise. God preached that promise to Abraham by saying all nations would be blessed in him. But watch this. 
The only way that was ever going to happen was through what Jesus would do. Remember, this is God's story. William Scroggie called it God's unfolding drama of redemption. God's the author, and throughout the history of mankind, he's been dropping promises, promises that eventually find their fulfillment because God always keeps his promises. That's worth saying again. God always keeps his promises. Over and over again in scripture, God reveals himself as sovereign. He can make promises because he's the author of the story. In Isaiah 46, 10, God says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. Or we could say, I will accomplish all my promises. A few verses later in chapter 48, we read, I declared them to you from of old before they came to pass. I announced them to you, lest you should say, my idol did them, my carved image and my metal image commanded them. God wasn't interested in you giving glory for him keeping his promises to something else. So he told about those promises prior to you being able to know that the promises were being fulfilled. God's not making, you, you need to understand this, God's not making last minute changes to his plan, getting surprised and calling Godhead brainstorming sessions to recalculate how to work through issues that he didn't foresee. He's sovereign. He has everything under control. Listen to this. He told the prophet Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And as we've already studied in Galatians, Paul used the same kind of language for himself when he said, he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace. That's Galatians 1.15. In Romans 9, 23, Paul referred to vessels of mercy, which he said God has prepared beforehand for glory. God can make promises because for him, it's already been done. He has already purposed it. The story is set in motion and everything will work out just the way he planned. Ain't that good news? That's good news for God's children. Watch this. Psalm 139, 4 has David writing and saying, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Then in Isaiah 65, 24, God said, before they call, I will answer while they are yet speaking, I will hear. And in Matthew 6, 8, we read that Jesus said, your father knows what you need before you ask him. These promises are true, friends, but they can't be true unless God is the sovereign God, the only sovereign God. His story is the unfolding drama of redemption playing out in the lives of believers all through time, all over the world. That's how he chose to do his work. History is how he chose to tell his story. So again and again and again in scripture, he makes promises and then he keeps those promises. Paul referred to his message as a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. That's 1 Corinthians 2, 7. And Paul told Timothy, God saved us. Are you ready for this? God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. This is God's story. We didn't earn our place in this epic story God is telling. Grace is opposed to earning. Somebody needs to hear 
the promise today that you don't have to earn God's grace. You can't earn God's grace. By definition, it's unmerited, unearned favor. And you need to hear that the gospel was the gospel before you believed it was the gospel. Christ died for you before you believed in his death as the atonement for your sins. He died for you while you were still a sinner, scripture says. God raised Jesus from the dead before you or I or even the disciples could comprehend that resurrection was even a possibility. God has made good on every promise he's ever made, and the Galatians just needed to be reminded of that. And we just need to be reminded of that. When there was no such thing as a Jew, God took Abraham, an uncircumcised Chaldean, a non-Jew, and called him a Jew and promised him that he would use him to ultimately bring blessing on Jews and on non-Jews, on all nations. Paul says that promise was the gospel. And in Jesus, that very promise has been kept. The gospel has become true. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.20 that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. God's work in Jesus is the denouement, the answer to how everything comes together. So we realize, when we think about this, we realize that God made the promise before Abraham believed the promise, which is the only way a promise can really work, right? My kids can't believe I'll take them to get ice cream after supper unless I tell them, promise them, that we're going out for ice cream after supper. Once I've made that promise, then they have something to believe, something to put their faith in. In Genesis 12, God made great promises to Abraham. Abraham couldn't believe in those promises until he heard those promises, but once he heard them, he could have faith in God and in those promises, as wild and outrageous as those promises may have seemed. And they were outrageous. A 100-year-old man would be viral, a 90-year-old woman would conceive and have a son. That was crazy talk. But Abraham believed the crazy talk. Abraham believed that God exists and he rewards those who seek him. Paul says in Romans 4, 16 through 17b, that, that is why it depends on faith. Listen, in order that the promise may rest on grace, it has to rest on grace, Paul says, and be guaranteed to all his offspring, all of Abraham's offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Father Abraham has many sons. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Ultimately, Paul contends that God in grace promised Abraham the salvation of the nations. And this promise indicates that God's plan was in action before Abraham heard those promises, before Abraham could believe those promises, before he could understand how on earth those promises could come true. Abraham couldn't do something to earn it. It had already been promised. Abraham was going to be the father of faith before he was a father and before faith was even a thing. Abraham was designated as the prototype for all God's children before he could wrap his mind around what kind of God was even speaking to him. Friends, the good news of the Old Testament and the good news about Jesus Christ are the same story. 
Abraham had faith that God would provide an atoning sacrifice, and that was Jesus. Hebrews says Abraham believed in resurrection, that if he had killed Isaac, God would have raised him to life again. Isaac didn't die on that mountain, but Jesus died and was raised to life again. So Abraham's faith was ultimately in Jesus. Abraham didn't know Jesus by name, but he trusted God's promises, and Jesus was the fulfillment of those promises, which means Abraham trusted Jesus. Abraham believed, and he was justified. He lived into God's story, and, and that's still the only way to be justified. You gotta believe. Sinful humans are justified and saved by grace through faith. That's how God planned it for Jews, and that's how he planned it for the whole world. He blessed Abraham by revealing his promises to him, and he blesses us in the very same way. When we hear the gospel, there's only one proper response, to have faith, to believe. Now, as we wrap this up, let's go back to our analogy. I've got to tell you, there's some serious disagreement between theologians and between denominations and between believers as to just how the switch gets flipped. Is this something that God does by himself, or is it something that God and the person each play a part in, or is it an exercise of the free will of the person exclusively? And I'm not going to answer that question. It's not within the purview of this message to attempt to resolve that dispute. We won't go there today, but I hope we can all agree that in the lives of countless people throughout the history of humankind, the switch got flipped. They believed and people's lives were illuminated by the light of the gospel and God's promises preceded the flipping of the switch, which means that the faithful God who always keeps his promises preached and promised the good news before Abraham's switch got flipped. Abraham believed and for the rest of his life, he was a man living out the promises of God. I'd like to propose today that that is what faith really is. A life surrendered wholly to a better story, to God's story. God gives us a better story and we spend our lives living out to God's promises. Pastor and author Mark Batterson says it this way. He says, the promises of God become the plot line of your life. Paul says the switch gets flipped, and you believe, and that's enough to qualify you. There's no work necessary for you to be qualified as a child of Abraham. There's no work necessary for you to be a child of God. You can't earn it. Everything you do after you believe is not an attempt to earn anything. Grace is opposed to earning. Everything you do is your effort to live into what Peter called God's very great and precious promises. Romans 4.21 says, Abraham was fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. And we, you and I, can be fully persuaded today too because Father Abraham has many children. Let's take a moment to reflect on this takeaway question. What's a promise in scripture which you want to, be, to see to become the plot line of your life. The faithful God who always keeps his promises is a master storyteller. 
And I want to end by reminding you of Paul's concise summary of God's epic story of grace taken from the message translation of Titus chapter three, verses three through eight. Eugene Peterson was the translator and he said this, it wasn't so long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn, easy marks for sin, ordered every which way by our glands, going around with a chip on our shoulder, hated and hating back. But when God, our kind and loving Savior God, stepped in, he saved us from all that. It was all his doing. We had nothing to do with it. He gave us a good bath, and we came out of it new people, washed inside and out by the Holy Spirit. Our Savior Jesus poured out new life so generously. God's gift has restored our relationship with him and given us back our lives. And there's more life to come, an eternity of life. You can count on this. Let's pray. Father, we, we need your help. We lean and depend on you to bring us out of our own stories into the grand unfolding drama of redemption that you're telling. Would you forgive us for the ways in which we try to hijack the story? We try to make ourselves the hero. We try to earn our place in it instead of accepting by grace through faith what you have called us to do and to be. God, I thank you for this time that we've been able to share together. I pray that your word would do its work in us and that as a result of that, that our lives, our efforts, the things that we do and say would not be attempts to earn anything from you, but rather would be just a living out of what you've, what you've filled us with by your spirit, living into your promises, living into the way that you've already said that things would be. We put our trust and our faith completely in Jesus Christ, our Savior. In his name we pray, amen.